Hey, friends, I want to welcome you to Stories from the Revolution podcast. I'm John White, and this is episode number 42. Today, I want to take a moment to express appreciation to the Lord for leading me to start this podcast. I began to feel that direction uh, towards the end of 2019. Um, it was both exciting and scary. I'm, I'm a pretty non-techie kind of guy, so I had no idea how to do a podcast. And somebody directed me to Anchor, and it turned out that that was uh, a very beginner-friendly way to do a podcast. So I got started. First episode was January of 2020, and this is now, as I said, episode 42. And I've noticed that we've just passed 10,000 plays. Uh, I am amazed and grateful at that. And uh, I'm also thankful uh, not only to the Lord, but also for you guys as, as listeners. So thank you for taking time to listen and to share this with your friends. So stories from the revolution. The revolution that we're talking about is the massive spiritual paradigm shift currently underway in the U.S. and around the world. In these stories, we're identifying key elements of this paradigm shift. Now, specifically, in the last few episodes, I've been talking about something called disciple-making movements, or sometimes called church-planting movements. In some places around the world, these movements are resulting in huge numbers of new followers of Jesus and new churches. And I rejoice in this. At the same time, Luke 10 raises questions about some of the methodology and the long-term viability of these movements. But we don't just raise questions. We offer an alternative built on some different assumptions about what Jesus had in mind when he told his disciples to make disciples. And I think it turns out increasingly that these assumptions that we have are supported by recent developments in brain research about what does it mean to make disciples. So, of course, we're all committed to fulfilling the Great Commission to make disciples disciples of all the, the nations or the people groups. And a powerful way to do that is through developing church planting movements. But significant differences emerge when you look at how we go about this. Now, before I go further, I wanna say again that even though we have different approaches, I rejoice that God is using all kinds of different models to do this. We've been talking about something called four by four movements. Um, in the last couple of episodes, um, we've explained that what this means is four lineages or lines of four or more disciples, four more generations of reproducing disciples. So four lines, at least four lines, and going at least four generations deep. So what does that look like in Luke 10? How do we do this in Luke 10? In Luke 10, we focus on training what we call facilitators. So why do we use that word, facilitator? The verb to facilitate means literally to make easy. In this case, it means that a trained facilitator helps a group more easily accomplish a particular goal. And in this case, the goal that we have in mind is to develop a group to become increasingly 
a vibrant family of Jesus. That's a key phrase in Luke 10, vibrant family of Jesus. That's sort of another word for a small group, house church. Um, so for us, we think that that means becoming skilled, becoming a vibrant family of Jesus, Become it means becoming skilled in two rhythms of attention. So our training engages both the left brain and the right brain. So we would call this whole brain disciple making. These two rhythms, first of all, how to connect with each other on a heart level. This allows us to do what uh, Romans 12 talks about, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Secondly, how to connect with Jesus on a heart level. In every group that we are part of, we are always training in these two rhythms. And a facilitator serves the group by making it easier to learn these rhythms. So in Luke 10, facilita facilitator training is really advanced disciple-making training. Another way to understand this word is that a facilitator functions like a spiritual parent. So what Luke 10 does, what it focuses on, what it, its stated mission is, the Luke 10 mission, is to connect and train or to equip spiritual mothers and fathers. What do we mean by this? Well, let's start with the fact that in the New Testament, every church that is mentioned met in a home and functioned like a small spiritual family. Lots of examples of that. So, for instance, in Romans 16, Paul writes, greet Prisca. Prisca is sort of a shortened form of Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom I, uh, not only do I give thanks, but all, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also, then he says, greet the church that is in their house. So that's the key phrase. There's a church meeting in the home of Priscilla and Aquila, and it functioned like a small spiritual family. Um, and no doubt Priscilla and Aquila in that context functioned as spiritual parents. A lot of times when I talk about Luke 10, I say, and I've, you've heard me on this in podcasts or in episodes before, I say that you can, we can understand almost everything we need to know about church with two simple equations. So here's the first equation. Sometimes I'm facetious. I say, these are very complicated. Take out a piece of paper and a pencil. You need to write this down. Here's the first equation. Church in the New Testament equals family. If you have an idea of what healthy family looks like, you know almost everything you need to know about what church looks like because church equal family. Then it follows that there's a second equation and that also is very simple. And that is that in the New Testament, uh, leaders equal parents, spiritual moms and dads. So those two simple equations, if you understand, again, what, uh, what healthy parents, healthy spiritual moms and dads look like, you know almost everything you need to know about leaders in church. So we use the term facilitator because today the terms mother and father, spiritual mother and father, often have emotional baggage for some people. And it could be that their own physical parents were less than perfect. And in some cases, churches or ministries have used that language in the past in a way that was abusive and authoritarian. So we don't lead with that word, spiritual moms and dads. 
the word facilitator doesn't raise red flags. But eventually, we want to introduce the concept of spiritual parenting. When we use that language, we always add spiritual parents in the best sense of the word parent. This is a thoroughly biblical concept. For instance, in John 14, 9, Jesus is answering a question that Philip has asked. And here's what he says. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So in a sense, we could say that Jesus was fathering his disciples for three years. That's a, that, that word father and mother really says it all. Another place is 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul, talking about his apostolic team, says, We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. And then a couple of verses later, he says, We dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So it's significant that Paul, as a male, says that they were like, and this is Paul and his whole team, they were like both a mother and a father. There are characteristics of mothers and fathers that are important for leaders, whether those leaders are male or female. Now, I want to emphasize again, because this it's, it's been abused in the past. I want to emphasize but that by using language of mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers and fathers, it doesn't mean leaders who lord it over the group or individuals, but rather who nurture the group uh, and individuals to grow in maturity. To facilitate healthy group functionings, to make it as easy as possible, that's the goal. A facilitator is really a servant to the group. And I love this definition of a servant. A servant is someone who is committed to making someone else successful. And that's exactly what goes on here. So we have three terms that are, that are almost interchangeable. Spiritual moms and dads, servants, and facilitators. Now, to understand healthy parenting, it helps us to, um, in understanding healthy parenting, it helps us to understand the role of a healthy facilitator. So for instance, wise parents understand that their parenting is dynamic and not static. A static would mean you have a, a way of parenting and you do that regardless of the age of the children or the personalities of the children. And what we say is, is no, it's not static, it's dynamic. What that means is that good parenting is developmental. That is, the way a parent relates to their children is dependent on the developmental stage of the children. Early on, when children are young, a wise parent knows that they will do more directing and telling. So I always say, if I'm standing on the corner of a busy street with a three-year-old at my side or a four-year-old, I don't say, would you like to hold my hand while we cross this street? I say, no, you will hold my hand when we cross this street. And so early on with young parents, uh, with young children and, and younger Christians or Christians new to healthy groups, we do more directing and we do more telling and we do more teaching and that's appropriate. But as a child matures, the parent will shift little by little, day by day to doing more telling and listening, I'm sorry, less directing and telling and more asking and listening. And we want to teach our facilitators to do that same thing. 
A good rule of thumb for facilitators of groups is the same as parents of the same as parents of families. So we have two ways of saying this. Here's the first one. Do as little as possible for your group or your family or your children, but as much as necessary. As little as possible, but as much as necessary. Here's another way of saying the same thing. Never do anything for your children or your group that they are capable of doing for themselves. Those questions or those statements cause an effective facilitator to continually be assessing the developmental stage of the group. What are they able to do for themselves? So again, an effective facilitator knows how to assess the developmental or maturity level of the group and how to relate to the group accordingly. As a result, these groups or spiritual families mature. As the groups mature, the individuals in them also become increasingly mature. This is a kind of a function of group dynamics. People tend to become, they, they tend to, to, to move up to the level of maturity of the group. So one of two things, if the group is, is maturing, one of two things will happen. People in the group will become more mature or they'll leave. They just feel like that's not the place for them. They can't, can't live up to that. So people grow to become increasingly spiritual grown-ups. One result of this is that these groups that are maturing reproduce naturally and spontaneously. Not because we tell them they have to, but because they're growing in their ability to listen to and obey Jesus. In Matthew 16, Jesus said that he would build his church, and that's exactly what we are seeing happening. One of our heroes in Luke 10 is a, is a guy named Roland Allen. Uh, he was an Anglican priest who lives, lived uh, back in the early part of the, the 1900s. He wrote a book called The Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. The key word there is spontaneous. At one point, I'll do a podcast, do an episode on Roland Allen. He's one of my heroes. Because our process for multiplying groups is so simple, most of our facilitators see family lines develop. So four by four movements are resulting spontaneously from how we train facilitators. Many of them have already seen two or three generations develop, and some have seen as many as eight generations. Currently, we have more than 70 people from around the world, different countries, training as facilitators. So potentially, um, that's 70 generational lines. So the big idea here in this episode is that in Luke 10, the way, uh, the way we are seeing four by four movements happen is by training facilitators. Now, in the next episode, uh, I'm gonna interview Tony Daniels, who is our training champion. And she will share more about training facilitators in Luke 10. She'll explain what it is, how you can get involved with that. Um, and I think you'll really enjoy uh, hearing from Tony. Tony is one of the best trainers that I have ever met. Uh, she has developed a great uh, process, which we call our learning pathway uh, in Luke 10. And uh, you'll be excited to hear about that. So this is John White. I am having more fun than you can imagine being part of a growing community of spiritual moms and dads.